Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, welcome back. We are on episode 31. This is the assignment for August 5th through 11th, and it is Romans 1 through 6, The Power of God Unto Salvation. And this week we are moving from Acts, where we talked a lot about like, and then Paul went here, and then Paul went here, and then Paul did this over here. And we are actually moving into doctrine. So this week, reading through the chapters of Romans was kind of like, whoop. Like a big giant download of doctrine. Like that's really what we're seeing a lot of in these chapters this week. But there was some really good stuff, some really good basics of the gospel that I think sometimes we tend to gloss over. And so it was really good to go back and revisit these. Y'all, I will tell you, forgive me if I'm a little froggy today. I'm dealing with a summer cold, but we are going to plow on anyways through this episode. Okay, so before we jump into all that doctrine, though, let's talk a little bit about the history of Romans and the Pauline epistles just in general. So, you know, Paul has traveled to all these different places. He's put little fledgling churches down, little church roots in like these various cities. And so a lot of these epistles are actually going to those little fledgling churches that he started. However, Romans is not one of them. He has never actually been to Rome. Um, We see that he is actually going to go to Rome after, you know, the events in Acts. They send him off to Rome. So he's going there, but he has not been there yet. And so this is him actually writing to a congregation he's never met. He's writing to a congregation that is in the biggest city in the world, their known world at that time. So for me in the United States, I would say New York City. It would be like Paul writing to the saints in New York City. If you are outside the United States, think of whatever the biggest city in your country is, and it would be like Paul writing to that city, right? And so Paul is writing to this church that has been started there by somebody else. He did not start it. There is a little group of saints there. We're going to see a lot in Romans him talking about the difference between Jew and Gentile. And the reason we see that so much is because the majority of the fledgling Christian congregation there in Rome was Gentile. So you have the majority of this congregation is Gentile. You have Jews that have come in and are like, oh no, guys, you're doing this all wrong. You have to be following the law of Moses. And this is Paul saying, whoa, dude, like, hold up. We don't follow the law of Moses anymore. We follow the law of faith. And so we're going to see a lot of, you know, law versus grace kind of thing going on here in Romans. Also, one of the really cool themes of Romans that I love is that God takes something unholy and he makes it holy. And that's like Paul's motto for the entire epistle of Romans. God takes something unholy and makes it holy. And we learn all about the ways that he does that through the book of Romans. And I really love that a lot. Um, Going back to the Pauline epistles, You know, he's writing to the various little congregations he started and some that he has not started. The way that they are in our New Testament, when we read this in Come Follow Me, is they're actually put in order by length not chronological order. And the only exception to that is Hebrews, which is kind of like flipped out and left on the end. So if we were actually to read the Pauline epistles through in the correct chronological order, we would be reading first 
1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Those were written in AD 50-51. Then we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and Romans, which were written sometime between 55 and 57. Then we have the Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Hebrews, which are written between AD 60 to 62. And then we have Titus and 1st and 2nd Timothy, which was written in AD 64 through 65. So that's the actual chronological order. And if you want to see that written down, it's in the Bible Dictionary under Pauline Epistles. You can go look that up. They got all kinds of other good stuff about the Pauline Epistles in there. It's got a good summary of what each book is kind of about. So there's good stuff. All right, so jumping right on into Come Follow Me this week. We start out, When I show faith in the Savior by keeping His commandments, I am justified through His grace. And it talks about some definitions that may help us better understand the epistle to the Romans. Okay, And they're in a, a specific order in Come Follow Me. I'm actually going to play with that order a little bit because I feel like some of them go together a little bit better than others. And um, so, yeah, you'll, you'll see. You'll, you'll get it as we go along. But the first definition it gives is about circumcision and uncircumcision. And guys, you know, I am always real with you. I am always brutally honest. My mom says that sometimes she thinks people listen to this podcast to see what's going to come out of my mouth next. And this is one of those moments, okay? So circumcision Anytime I see this term in the scriptures, it immediately makes me think of male genitalia. Like, I'm sorry, I'm reading along and then all of a sudden I see circumcision and I'm like, whoa! Um, And it kind of like has kind of a flustering effect on me. So as I am reading through this week, I'm reading through Romans 4, 9 through 12. And there's like circumcision here and uncircumcision there and, and circumcision in this verse and uncircumcision in this verse. And it was like, I don't know, being flashed by a guy in a trench coat. Like, I mean, there was just so much of it. So I went back through and I changed, especially in Romans 4, 9 through 12, because I felt like that was kind of an important verse. Going back in and changing some of the wording really helped me understand what Paul was trying to say by using the term circumcision and uncircumcision. So if we replace that with circumcision being like the Abrahamic covenant and then uncircumcision being like the Gentiles, I think it makes a whole lot more sense. So for example, Romans 4, 9 through 12. This is me having made some changes. Okay. So 9. Come at this blessedness then upon the Jews only or upon the Gentiles also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? After he was part of the Abrahamic covenant or before? Not in the Abrahamic covenant, but before. And he received the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being a Gentile, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be Gentiles, that righteousness might be imputed upon them also. And I love this. Now that I went in and changed those verses, I'm not like covering my eyes as I'm reading my scriptures anymore. But now I'm going in and I'm actually seeing like what these verses mean. And I love this part in verse 10 where he's talking about, you know, did he get the Abrahamic covenant after he was righteous or before he was righteous? And the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant came to him when he was still, you know, I guess unrighteous in quotation marks, still unrighteous. And he had not yet received the Abrahamic covenant and the rules and stuff that went with that. So he received it in his, like, I guess, unholy or impure state. So that gives us great hope for where we are. When we are in an unholy or impure state that 
God can still work with us, that God can use us. And then that's a springboard for us to become pure and become holy through covenants with our Father in heaven. And so that scripture took on a whole new meaning, which is why I wanted to kind of change it up for you guys a little bit, sub in some of those words. So when you see the word circumcision, substituted in with Abrahamic covenant. When you see the word uncircumcision, substituted in with Gentile. And the scriptures take on a whole new meaning. Okay? <laughs> so I wanted to make sure you guys knew that. Okay, continuing on with this whole law of Moses versus law of faith thing, our next definition in Come Follow Me is the law. And it says, when Paul wrote of the law, he was referring to the law of Moses. The word works in Paul's writings often refer to the ceremonies and rituals of the law of Moses. Paul contrasted this law with the law of faith, or the doctrine of Jesus Christ, who is the real source of our salvation. And we can read in 2 Nephi, 2nd chapter, verse 5, And men are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil, and the law is given unto men. And by the law no flesh is justified, yea, by the temporal law they were cut off, and also by the spiritual law they perish from that which is good, and become miserable forever. So, how do we get from that to the law of faith? And there's a really good talk this week that Come Follow Me reference. It's by D. Todd Christofferson. It's called Justification and Sanctification. Um, I recommend that you go read that, but be ready to like spend some time on it, because it's a lot like these Pauline epistles, where it's like, Whoop, like heavy download of doctrine. Okay, so be ready to spend some time on that. But um, D. Todd Christofferson has a really good quote about this. And he says, With nothing more, by virtue of the fall and our own disobedience, the law condemns us to temporal and spiritual death. Law, or justice, is not a pleasant concept when one is condemned by it and miserable forever. Worldly philosophies attempt to resolve this misery and guilt by endeavoring to erase divine law or define it out of existence. As we have already observed, if we could get rid of the law, there is no such thing as sin, no misery. With Corianton, there are many today who try to suppose that it is an injustice that the sinner should be consigned to a state of misery. This approach, however, if it were to succeed, would eliminate our potential for happiness. We need to preserve justice for our own sakes, for our own potential happiness. There is a better way, and that better way is not to deny the law, but to come out from under its condemnation. The righteous are supported by the law, a pleasant position to be in. But to achieve that status, we need more than the law alone. We need a savior. We need a mediator. Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Behold, he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and contrite spirit, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. And that's from 2 Nephi 2, 6-7. Okay, so Detal Christofferson says that the law is necessary because through the law, we learn. It teaches us like the path that Christ wants us to follow. It's why we have the law that we have, you know, the Ten Commandments. It's why we have our baptismal covenants. There are things that help us kind of put our life in order. If there wasn't a law and we could just do whatever we wanted, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be the best way to live, right? So there is a law that kind of helps us guide our lives. But we are all going to fall short of it at some point. We are all never going going to be good enough to line up with the law that has been given. And when that happens, then we are so lucky because we have Christ as our mediator. And, you know, I think of my kids at school. You know, when I'm teaching my kids at school, they have to be able to fail. 
they have to be able to make mistakes because they learn so much more from making mistakes and failing from whatever task it is that they're doing. Not only do they learn how to do whatever task it is correctly, but they learn how to recover from that. They develop resiliency. And so spiritual resiliency is really what we're developing anytime we fall short of the law and we come back to Christ and we repent. We're strengthening our relationship with Christ and we're strengthening our spiritual resiliency as well. So it's a really great way for us to learn. It's a really great testing ground. Um, You know, I think of a little kid, you know, you tell them, don't touch the hot stove, don't touch the hot stove. And, you know, the little kid, I'm raising my hand, I, I am that little kid, goes up and has to touch the hot stove. And, you know, yeah, it burned, it hurt. And you better believe after that, I never touched the hot stove again. But I had to learn from my own sad experience that, yeah, stove is hot, don't touch it, right? And so it's the same thing. Learn by being able to have the freedom to make mistakes. And that's why the law is necessary. But because the law is necessary, also a savior is necessary. And that's where we go into our next definition. And this definition is for justification, justify, or justified. Um, And I don't know if I'm the only one who started hearing the justified theme song for the justified TV show in her head as I was reading this along, but I did. I just like the word justified because that TV show. But anyways, justification, justifying, justified. These terms refer to the remission or pardoning of sin. When we are justified, we are forgiven, declared guiltless, and freed from eternal punishment for our sins. As Paul explained, this is made possible through Jesus Christ. All right. And another really good quote from D. Todd Christofferson, because of the infinite virtue of his great atoning sacrifice, Jesus Christ can satisfy or answer the ends of the law on our behalf. Pardon comes by the grace of him who has satisfied the demands of justice by his own suffering. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us closer to God. That's 1 Peter 3.18. He removes our condemnation without removing the law. We are pardoned and placed in a condition of righteousness with him. We become like him without sin. We are sustained and protected by the law, by justice. We are, in a word, justified. Thus, we may appropriately speak of one who is justified and pardoned without sin or guiltless. For example, whoso repenteth and is baptized in my name shall be filled. And if he endureth to the end, behold, him will I hold guiltless before my father at that day, when I shall stand to judge the world. That's from 3 Nephi 27, 16. So something interesting happened this week. As I'm thinking about all this, you know, the law and being justified through Christ and the law of faith and all this stuff, you know, a lot of times when you're asked to give a talk on something, you know, it comes right at the point in your life where you need it, right? Well, this week I was talking to my son and just a little background on this whole situation. My husband left the church about seven years ago. And when he left the church, I mean, it was kind of a dramatic exit. Like he wants nothing to do with the church. Like it's just done. And part of that is that he does not want our son attending church with me. He takes my son and they go to a different church. Now, even though my son has not been baptized in our church, he's also not been baptized in that church either because he's got a lot of questions. He's 13 years old and, you know, he's like, I'm just not ready to be baptized anywhere. He's like, you know, the only reason I would even want to be baptized is so that I don't go to hell, you know? And I'm like, well, that's not a very good reason to be baptized. You want to be baptized because you believe in Jesus Christ and, you know, in his grace and things like that. And so we actually had a really interesting conversation this week where he was talking about he's afraid that he is never going to be good 
good enough, that there's nothing that he could ever do to be good enough for God to basically have him come back and live with him again. And I was like, oh, but that's where grace comes in. And, you know, that's where Jesus Christ comes in. And that's why we need a savior. And I was able to kind of testify to him of the concept of grace and of being justified in the law. And that that leads us back to our heavenly father. And he's like, well, why don't I just say then that Jesus Christ is my savior and that just takes care of everything. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Because once you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, it's great, but you still have stuff you got to do. Let's say salvation is like a house, right? And so you accept Jesus Christ as your savior. You know, in our case, in our church, we get baptized, we follow him, that kind of thing. And you're in the house, you're in Jesus's house. But while you're in Jesus's house, there are chores that you need to do when you're in Jesus's house. Okay. You need to sweep the floors. You need to unload the dishwasher. You know, that's part of living in Jesus's house. And so there's still things that you need to do, but he's also not going to kick you out. If you forget to unload the dishwasher one time, he's going to say, Hey, come back in and unload the dishwasher. Right? So I was kind of trying to use that metaphor to kind of get across to him. Like, yeah, there's works, but there's also, you know, grace. You know, Dieter F. Uchtdorf has a really good quote in his talk, The Gift of Grace, that addresses this. He says, Brothers and sisters, we obey the commandments of God out of our love for him. Trying to understand God's gift of grace with all our heart and mind gives us all the more reasons to love and obey our Heavenly Father with meekness and gratitude. As we walk the path of discipleship, it refines us, it improves us, and it helps us to become more like him, and it leads us back to his presence. The Spirit of the Lord our God brings with it such a mighty change in us that we have no more disposition to do evil but to do good continually. Therefore, our obedience to God's commandments comes as a natural outgrowth of our endless love and gratitude for the goodness of God. This form of genuine love and gratitude will miraculously merge our works with God's grace. Virtue will garnish our thoughts unceasingly and our confidence will wax strong in the presence of God. So that's another good reason to you know, how the law works in our lives. We follow the law because we love God. Um, and I've found that in my life, that really when I am following God and I'm doing what I'm supposed to, that I start doing things because I love Christ, because I love God, because I want to show that love for them and because I want to follow them and I want to be like them. Um, and that kind of changes my whole attitude as to why I do things. You know, am I doing it just because I'm supposed to or am I doing it because I love God? And I find that when I love God and I focus on that, my heart and mind follow along and works and grace kind of work together for our salvation. And so it was really interesting to be able to read the Pauline epistles and read the things that Paul has said about grace and works, but still have that conversation with my son kind of come up at the same time this week. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe everything is divine timing. And in that case, God was right on time. It was perfect. So it was a good week to read that. Um, I want to continue on with the Detail Christofferson quote. Um, he ends with, the quote from Third Nephi, where whoso repenteth is baptized in my name shall be filled, and if he endureth to the end, behold him will I hold guiltless before my father at that day when I shall stand to judge the world. So things that we need to do, we need to be baptized in his name and then endure to the end, right? And so holding tight to the gospel of Christ as we know it, and after being baptized, that's how we are justified through Christ. And then Detail Christofferson continues, yet glorious as the remission of sins is, the atonement accomplishes even more. That more is expressed by Moroni. And again, if ye by the grace of God are perfect in Christ and deny not his power, then ye are sanctified in Christ by the grace of God through the shedding of the blood of Christ. 
which is in the covenant of the Father unto the remission of your sins, that you become holy or without spot. All right, and so then we start talking about grace. To be sanctified through the blood of Christ is to become clean, pure, and holy. If justification removes the punishment for past sin, then sanctification removes the stain or the effects of sin. The prophet Joseph Smith testified, And this is the gospel, the glad tidings, which the voice out of heavens bore record unto us, that he came into the world, even Jesus, to be crucified for the world, and to bear or justify the sins of the world, and to sanctify the world, and to cleanse it from all unrighteousness. That's from DNC 76, 40-41. And that leads us in perfectly to the next topic, which is grace. And grace is one of my favorite gospel topics ever. I love it so much. Um, Because in the South, we talk all about grace. Like, grace is all over the place here in the South. But I also think sometimes we don't talk about it enough in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are so driven to think that, you know, we can work out our own salvation, that we have to do everything right and everything perfect, and we forget about that grace. And so I love talking about grace, not only when it comes to, like, the atonement and remission of sins, but also as an enabling power. And the manual says this week, Grace is divine, help or strength, given through the bounteous mercy and love of Jesus Christ. Through grace, all people will be resurrected and receive immortality. In addition, grace is an enabling power that allows men and women to lay hold on eternal life and exaltation after they have expended their own best efforts. We do not earn grace through our efforts. Rather, it is grace that gives us strength and assistance to do good works that we would otherwise not be able to maintain. And that's from Come Follow Me. It also directs you to see Grace Bible Dictionary, which I love. I'm going to read you a little bit from that. And then also to see Diedrich Uchtdorf's talk, The Gift of Grace, which is an awesome talk. I recommend that you go look that up. But first, the Bible Dictionary. And if I were to show you this for my scriptures, it's like highlighted and like red lettered all over because I just love this definition so much. So Bible Dictionary, Grace. The main idea of the word is divine means of help or strength given through the bounteous mercy and love of Jesus Christ. It is through the grace of the Lord Jesus, made possible by his atoning sacrifice, that mankind will be raised in immortality, every person receiving his body from the grave in the condition of everlasting life. It is likewise through the grace of the Lord that individuals, through faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ and repentance of their sins, receive strength and assistance to do good works that they would otherwise not be able to maintain if left to their own means. This grace is an enabling power that allows men and women to lay hold on eternal life and exaltation after they have expanded their own best efforts. Divine grace is needed by every soul and consequences of the fall of Adam, and also because of men's weaknesses and shortcomings. However, grace cannot suffice without total effort on the part of the recipient. Hence the explanation, it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. It is truly the grace of Jesus Christ that makes salvation possible. Okay, so going back to grace. The one thing in all these definitions I think that trips us up sometimes is the after all we can do. The after implying that like after this life is when grace applies and it's not. Grace applies in this life every single minute that we are living in this life. 
Um, and an example of this I can give you guys of where I felt grace in my life, that enabling and strengthening power, happened a couple years ago. Um, I was in the public relations committee for our stake. I was in charge of social media. And I felt as part of my calling or assignment, I guess, that I really needed to train the people in our stake on social media awareness for their kids and how to keep their kids safe online. And it's something that I do in my job anyways. And so I felt like it would be a really good thing to kind of, you know, expand out into the wards. I was like, I can do it like, you know, as a midweek activity or whatever. But the member of the stake presidency I was working with said, no, let's go ahead and do it as like, you know, a fifth Sunday or something like that. I'm like, okay. So it ended up actually being that it would be the second hour I was going to talk to the parents. And the third hour I would talk to the kids and the parents together. So basically anyone 12 and up and their parents together. So it was two different workshops that I was doing. And one day I had scheduled to do all three wards in my building. So I would actually be doing six different workshops. So I'd be doing a second and third hour in one ward, a second and third hour in another ward, and a second and third hour in another ward, right after each other, bam, 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 which is really intimidating anyways. Um, That's a lot of talking. It's a lot of presenting stuff. It's a lot of different crowds. And the way I teach is every time I'm teaching, every lesson, even if it's the same lesson over and over again, can be completely different. I gauge my audience's reactions. I gauge, you know, kind of what the Spirit's telling me to harm on or I gauge, you know, what worked best in the last class? What do I need to change for this class? So each workshop kind of, you know, grows and expands or contracts in different areas. And it's kind of like an organism, you know, like a living organism. And so it takes a lot of brain power to be able to do that. Now I had this scheduled out as months in advance. So I didn't think, I was like, oh, I can handle it. No problem. You know, I, six, six hours of teaching. Yeah, that's a lot, but that's what I do every day and it will be fine. And I, you know, you know kind of just like, oh, it'll be fine. Well, coming up to the date of the workshop, I started having like all kinds of crazy health stuff going on, like rapid heart rate, high blood pressure, dizziness. And then I stopped sleeping was the next thing. And it would be one of those things that if I could go to sleep, I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and just be like full on panic attack. My body was convinced that something was out to get me and I would not be able to fall back asleep. That was on the nights that I could sleep. There were lots of nights where I couldn't go to sleep at all, that I was just like wired, like just, I mean, the adrenaline just flowing 24 seven. Um, and it was a really scary thing. I actually ended up in the ER twice for chest pains and stuff like that during this time that this was happening. And, you know, there were several times during those three o'clock mornings where I'd wake up and be like, okay, I've got all this adrenaline. I've got to burn it off. And so I was like, maybe I'll go on a run. And so I'm like running through my neighborhood at three o'clock in the morning. And I'm so frustrated with the situation. I'm like bawling my eyes out, you know, and also I haven't been sleeping. So I'm not in the best mental status anyways. So, you know, I'm like this crazy woman running through my neighborhood, bawling my eyes out at three o'clock in the morning. And this is all happening in the week leading up to this six hours of workshop that I need to do that Sunday. I'm like, oh, Heavenly Father, there is no way that I'm going to be able to physically last through the day and mentally last through the big mental hurdle that I have coming up. And spiritually, I'm just going to be tapped out. Like, I, I'm just not okay, you know? And yeah, the symptoms didn't subside. They didn't subside. I mean, up to the day before, I mean, it was, I think the night before that I went and did that workshop, I actually didn't sleep. It was one of those nights I just didn't sleep at all. And I went into that workshop and I was like, okay, you know, father, I can't do this on my own. I know that physically I can't do this. I know I can't, but I know that through your grace, your enabling power, I can get through this. And I did. I went through every single one of those workshops both for the young men and young women and also for their parents. Um, I think I did pretty good. It got a little sketchy towards the last workshop. (laughs) I think I was like starting to like, Ooh, what did I say? What did I not say? I can't remember. Um, but I made it through the day 
And I think the message that I got out was really good. I have lots of good feedback. Um, in fact, if you're interested on internet safety and your kids, I'll share a link to the Symbaloo that I used. It's got all the different resources and the presentations in it. So you can go and look through that too. That's just an aside. But I never would have been able to do that, to even stand up and do that in the middle of all the crazy health stuff I had going on if I had not had that enabling grace with me. And also as a side note, what was going on is my thyroid was kind of pooping out. And as it was pooping out, it started swinging between hyper and hypo. And um, I was just in a very hyper phase. It was almost, if you look up the symptoms for a thyroid storm, like I wasn't in a full thyroid storm, but I mean, it was pretty close. Like that's, that was kind of what was going on in my body at the time. And so um, eventually it stopped because, you know, my little thyroid as it is swung the other way to hypo again. And, um, life went back to normal. So that was an example of a time where I felt grace in my life. There was no way that I could even stand up or get to church that Sunday. I knew there wasn't unless I had the enabling power of grace with me. And that enabling power carried me through those workshops. It carried me through a commitment that I had made both to my ward, to my stake, to my heavenly father, that I really wanted to get this message out. And not only about internet safety, but when you do mess up on the internet or something goes wrong on the internet, how you can apply the grace of Jesus Christ and the atonement of Jesus Christ to your life to make it better. And I was able to apply the grace of Jesus Christ in my life to give a message about the grace of Jesus Christ. And I thought that was pretty good. All right, continuing on with Come Follow Me. My outward actions must reflect and increase my inner conversion. Paul's teachings show that some of the Jewish Christians in Rome still believe that obedience to the rites and rituals of the law of Moses brought salvation. This may seem like a problem that doesn't apply anymore since we don't live by the law of Moses. Uh, I think it does, though. I think we are convinced sometimes that we can never do enough. I, I know I've said this like multiple times already in this episode, but I'm harping on it because I've felt that way personally. And I know that there have been times where I've sat in sacrament meeting and been like, I'm not good enough. I keep messing up. I'll never be good enough for the celestial kingdom. I'll never be good enough for Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father. I'm not good enough. And I've felt that so many times, which is why I'm harping on it. So you guys know, if you feel that way, you're okay. You're fine. Mistakes happen. We use repentance and we use the atonement of Jesus Christ and we become perfected in him. And that's when the sacrament took on a whole new meaning for me. When I realized, yeah, I was really impatient, maybe yelled at my kid and was like not super nice to my husband this week, but I have the atonement of Jesus Christ when I go back and I ask for their forgiveness and I truly repent in my heart, then that kind of erases that and I can become closer to Christ, right? Going back to Come Follow Me. As you read Paul's writings, especially Romans 2, 17 through 29, think about your own efforts to live the gospel. Are your outward performances, such as taking the sacrament or attending the temple, leading you to conversion and strengthening your faith in Christ? How can you ensure that your outward actions are leading to a change of heart? One of the biggest tasks that I've seen, I think, in our lives that we are faced with is combining our heart and our mind with our body. Like, and making sure that all three of those things are on the path, the covenant path, you know, that will lead us back to Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father. And so being able to have the self-control of your mind and self-control of your heart during those actions and making sure that they're focusing on the correct thing that you're supposed to be focusing on, I think is one of the ways that we really create conversion for ourselves. And it places us on the covenant path back to our Heavenly Father. Um, Down H. Oaks has a really good talk called The Challenge to Become. One, I really, really love this talk again, because if you're in the mindset like I have been multiple times in my life where the things I'm doing aren't good enough, 
I'm not good enough. I'm not checking enough boxes and the boxes that I am checking aren't good enough. Like, okay, if you ever have that mindset, then this is really comforting to me. This is down a jokes, the challenge to become. The final judgment is not just an evaluation or some total of good and evil acts. What we have done Okay, so this is Lexi talking. It's not just our checklist, right? Down H. Oak says, It is an acknowledgement of the final effect of our acts and thoughts, what we have become. It is not enough for anyone to just go through the motions. The commandments, the ordinances, and the covenants of the gospel are not a list of deposits required to be made in some heavenly account. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our Heavenly Father desires us to become. We are challenged to move through a process of conversion towards that status and condition called eternal life. This is achieved not just by doing what is right, but by doing it for the right reason, for the pure love of Christ. And so I love that because then it's not going to be a sum total when I stand before my Savior and my Heavenly Father and the final judgment. I'm not going to be holding up a clipboard with my checkmark list. They're not going to ask, what are all the things that you've done? They're going to ask, where are your heart and your mind at? You know, what have you become? What have you learned? And they can't expect us to learn things if we're not going to make mistakes. So mistakes are a given. They're part of this life. And so when I stand before them and say, yeah, I've learned a lot about being patient. I have learned a lot about not judging others. I can say that because there have been times where I've been impatient. And I can say that because there are times where I have been judgmental. Those are like my two big things, you know, and I can say that is it's something that I'm constantly working on, you know, so they will know that I've messed up in those spots, but it doesn't matter because the atonement of Jesus Christ covers those mistakes and it was a learning opportunity for me. And so I love that. Up next and come follow me. Through Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven of my sins. Some people may feel discouraged at Paul's bold declaration that there is none righteous, no, not one. There are also hopeful messages in Romans. Look for them in chapters 3 and 5 and consider why remembering that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God is an important step towards learning to rejoice in hope through Jesus Christ. So one of the interesting things I think that we see in Paul's writings here in Romans, um, especially in the first couple of chapters, is Paul's just breaking it down. Um, And I think, you know, it's kind of the same thing like we see in the military. Before they build you up, they kind of break you down. And I think that's kind of what Paul has going on here. He's breaking down, you know, yeah, you guys think you're so good? No, here, I'm going to tell you what you really are and kind of, you know, just breaking them down. And then he's going to build us back up through Christ. So I think that's what he's got going on. So some of the hopeful things about learning to rejoice in hope through Jesus Christ that I saw in Romans chapters three and five, here's some of the, the scriptures I found. In Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So I love that. That is so hopeful because we are justified again through Christ. His righteousness makes us righteous. And that is such a beautiful thought. Um, Also, I saw in Romans 5, this is Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's so many things I love in those two verses. First of all, we have peace with God. 
Okay. And in those times where I'm like fussing, you know, I, I'm not good enough. I can't do enough. My check marks aren't on my checklist and the ones that are there aren't good enough. When I realize that I'm justified by faith, that my little measly efforts are going to be made perfect by Christ. Then I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what Paul's talking about there in verse one. I also love the phrase that we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. And I love the idea of standing in grace, Um, just standing as grace as like just a, as a lifestyle, as a surrounding force by faith and having that faith in Jesus Christ, we can stand in grace. And I love that idea. Rejoicing in the hope and the glory of God. Continuing on in Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And I love that too, because it talks not only about the atonement and what the atonement accomplished, but also what the resurrection accomplished and bringing us back again, perfected in his grace and in his atonement. So I loved all those verses from Romans 3 and 5. All right, next section, come follow me. The gospel of Jesus Christ invites me to walk in the newness of life. Paul taught that the gospel would change the way we live. What statements in Romans 6 would you use to help someone understand how the gospel has helped you walk in the newness of life? And what personal experiences would you share? And this is, again, where my talk with my son came in this week, right? So Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like Christ, we are raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should also walk in the newness of life. That's the scripture that Come Follow Me references. And so talking to him and saying, you know, yeah, we sin. Yeah, we are insignificant. Yeah, we are teeny tiny before God. And so I'm like, I don't know what they've been teaching you in your other church, but it sounds like they've been doing a whole lot more of the ripping down that Paul's doing at the beginning of Romans instead of like the building up that Paul does at the end. But you know, that's a side note. You know, so I needed to do some of that building up, I kind of felt. I'm like, yeah, you may be insignificant and tiny before God and never be good enough for him, but that's where the atonement of Jesus Christ comes in. And that's why Jesus Christ is our savior. And that's why we love Jesus Christ so much because he loved us first and because his grace and his mercy allow us to come before God and to be able to stand before God. And that's the newness of life. Once we discover that you have that newness of life. And this is something that I see myself every week as I take the sacrament, you know, where I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh, heavenly father, I messed up again. I fell short again. I did this again. And But then I take the sacrament, and as long as my Father in heaven and I are square, I'm good. I've got newness of life again, right? I'm keeping my baptismal covenants again. And I'm able to walk in that newness of life hand in hand with Jesus Christ and my Heavenly Father. And that's just a beautiful thought. Okay, going on into ideas for family scripture study and family home evening. Um, I wanted to jump down to the part where it says, Some people might say that because we are justified only by God's grace, there are no requirements for us to receive grace. Even though we can never do enough to earn God's grace, God does ask for certain things to receive it. And what can we do to receive grace? Okay, because I I wanted to address this because I've been talking a lot about, you know, grace is freely given, grace is with us, grace enables us, living in a state of grace, you know, grace, grace, grace. Everywhere is grace, right? That's kind of what this episode is all about. But there are some requirements. And in the Bible Dictionary, the Bible Dictionary Grace, I left this out of the original definition that I gave you guys because I wanted to talk about it here. Um, This is the ending of it. It says, however, grace cannot suffice without total effort on the part of the recipient. Hence the explanation, it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. 
It is truly the grace of Jesus Christ that makes salvation possible. So again, there's that phrase, it is by grace we are saved after all we can do. The doing is the part of it. You know, as we continue to do, then grace makes up the rest. But we've got to be willing to do. You know, I'm in the middle of my crazy thyroid situation and I know I've got the workshops coming up and I could have canceled and had, you know, three different bishoprics panicking about what they were going to do with second and third hour on that fifth Sunday, but I didn't. I was willing to do. And, you know, I was like, Heavenly Father, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to bring my measly little effort of whatever energy I have left to come through and do this workshop. I need your grace to carry me through. And it was there because I was willing to do whatever I could and he made up the difference. Um, So being willing to do what we can as, you know, badly as we do it, being willing to do it is part of the requirements of receiving that grace. Um, The next section I wanted to talk about here in the family and home scripture study is what tribulations have we experienced? How have these tribulations helped us develop patience, experience, and hope? And this comes from Romans 5, 3 through 5, and the scriptures there say, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And so that's the scriptures that it's referencing there. So what tribulations have we experienced? Well, one of the examples I thought of that was also this week, again, with my son. Um, this, this just was a really needed, I think, scripture passage for me this week. But my son had an experience this week where he experienced a panic attack, and it, like, freaked him out, right? He's already a little bit prone to anxiety, and then this panic attack, you know, where your body just goes crazy and is like, something's attacking me, but nothing's attacking you. You know, it just really, really freaked him out. But having gone through a situation where I've had panic attacks, you know, the running around my neighborhood at three o'clock in the morning, bawling my eyes out. Yeah, I've experienced that. And at the time when I was running through the neighborhood, bawling my eyes out, I remember just why, why would you make me go through this? Why Heavenly Father? Why do I have to do this? Like, you know, and even afterwards when I found out, you know, it was my thyroid being fluky. Like, why would I have that thyroid fluke? Why would you make me go through that? And this week, as I saw my son struggle through this panic attack and struggle to even be able to breathe, I was like, I know what this is like. I know what you're feeling and I know how to get you through this. You know, let's breathe. We're going to count our breath. I knew how to handle it because it was something that I experienced. And, you know, in the days following where he was talking about, you know, what if it happens again? What if it happens again? And I'm like, dude, I know what you're feeling. You're having anxiety about having anxiety. I'm like, I have that all the time. Like, I know what you're feeling and being able to kind of work with him through that. And of course, you know, we have a therapist and we go to the therapist and stuff too. But so he's got professional help. It's not just me. But being able to tell him like, yeah, dude, I've been there and I have felt this and being able to walk hand in hand with him as he goes through this, knowing what I know, I don't think that I would have that same skill set and that same knowledge set if I hadn't had those panic attacks on my own. I wouldn't have understood what he was feeling, the seriousness of it and how scary it can be, especially when you're like a kid, when you're 13 years old. You know, I was a grown adult and it freaked me out really bad. So I can't even imagine what it would be like as a 13 year old. And so to be able to walk with him through that, it was a really good experience for me to see how God used a tribulation and let a tribulation happen in my life that I could go back in and then help my son with. And so to me, that was what a tribulation that I glory in now because I have a memory to rely on of a time that grace helped me and helped 
work through a really hard time. And then also I have a memory to rely on when someone else is going through a really hard time that I can help them through it. And that is a huge blessing to me. So I do glory in the tribulations that, you know, I have experienced. All right. And I think we're going to end the episode here. I know it's shorter than my normal episodes are by about 15 minutes. I'm sorry. I just feel like my voice is going to give out and y'all don't need to hear me croak anymore. So we're just going to go ahead and end here. I think we got enough content in there that it will be worth your while. Um, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep existing and standing in the grace of Jesus Christ. I love that so much. Um, I will see you guys here next time. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.